Hi guys, I'm Brad Montgomery, and this is The Breakdown, where we take a look at different topics in science, psychology, and investing. Today we're going to be focusing on the top 10 weather events of southern New Mexico and far west Texas. But before we get started, in case you've missed any, you can catch any of our episodes by going to kboxtv.com forward slash the hyphen breakdown. Now let's break it down. I'm with Jason Laney. He's the warning coordinator with the National Weather Service El Paso. And this is really, really exciting stuff. You guys put together the top 10 weather events of Southern New Mexico, Far West Texas. Not only is it informative, I think it's it's at the same time just by default educational because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't realize some of these events could really even occur here. Absolutely, you know, everybody seems to think that because we're desert, uh, you know, our main threat is maybe a thunderstorm with lightning and maybe some flash flooding. But the truth of the matter is we run the entire gamut. If it's severe weather, and we can even talk hurricanes if you want to. We don't get hurricanes directly, but remnants of hurricanes have caused major flooding around here. And then that's one of the events that we're going to dive into. Let's let's start num with number one here. We're looking at the May 9th, 2012 wildfire. Yeah, we're going to call it number one because it's the first one we're going to talk about, but it came in at number 10 on our list. That's right. So we're, we're counting Back down backwards front. here. Yeah, <laughs> it was uh, the Whitewater Baldy Complex. Yeah. Now, you know, we're not a stranger to wildfires in this area. A lightning strike is very common without rainfall, believe it or not, right. especially early on in a monsoon season or even pre-monsoon when we're still dry and very windy out there. That's what happened this day, and this thing took off, and it burned just thousands of acres. And this, this complex, I think, did the smoke affect El Paso and Las Cruces as well on certain days? Because it went on for several days. Oh yeah, as a matter of fact, we dealt with this fire in one form or another for the better part of about two months, believe it or not, wow. even into July. This thing started in May into July. There was still some burn spots that were going on there. But yes, what would happen is we would run the modeling for the air quality. A lot of days, the smoke would normally head on up towards the Albuquerque or Socorro area right. in New Mexico. but. Uh, when the winds would shift, we'd get a frontal boundary through, we'd get them in TRC, Las Cruces, El Paso, and very poor air quality at times because of that. Now, another one I want to talk about, and this is one I really want to talk about you with because I'd seen this here, forecasting weather for several years in the borderland, the October 12, 1957 tornado that struck Silver City. And that really stood out to me. It stood out to me for a couple of reasons because there are areas that may lend themselves a little more to tornadoes even across the borderland like there would any other part of the country than there would other areas. And Silver City wouldn't necessarily strike you as an area that would lend itself to a tornado even though it is on the kind of the, has a slope south you know, out of the mountains down there, but still right, right. it is considered semi-mountainous, if not a mountainous city. Yeah, and see, that's one of the big questions I always get when I go out and teach like my storm spotter classes. Mm -hmm. We talk about tornado safety and people are like, well, why are we even talking tornadoes? Do they really happen around here? And people right. forget. And then the big question that comes up, but tornadoes can't happen in the mountains, can they? And absolutely they can. Now, this particular one was actually just south of the mountain range, okay. the peaks. It was down at the airport, and anybody that knows anything about Silver City, the airport is actually located a little further south of town. But back in 1957, our cell phones weren't working very well back then for some reason. Right. And, and we just didn't get any video of this, but looking at the damage, and that's how we always classify how strong a tornado is, looking at the damage that it has done, and the planes and all the property that was flipped and turned over at airport. Uh, that one came in as, a, at the time, an F3. We didn't have the EF scale, obviously, as, as an F3 tornado. And at that point, it was the strongest tornado ever in the border. And then, of all places, 
that, that's just that, that that's what just amazes me and that right there got my attention to to realize that there is although not a significant it, it's not a non-zero tornado risk uh, that's right in the borderland there's absolutely no place in the continental united states where there is a non-zero risk so uh our zero risk yeah so we have to always be alert anytime there's a thunderstorm uh granted a lot of our tornadoes sneak up on us they don't form like the ones that do out in the plain sure. states but but still they can and do happen we're gonna get to one though that does have some plains characteristics okay later down on Looking the forward list to that one we're talking about May 8th, the, I said number 8th, the May 22nd dust storm. Okay, number 8 on our list. You're probably wondering how we came up with this list first and foremost, right? A little curious. A little curious. Well, we got together as forecasters. There are probably things that happened long before we were around in this area. So this does date back for at least the staff that we have there. And it's real easy to say what's the most important weather events, the one that affected me the most. Right. But we tried to put that bias aside and look at what had the most impact on a wide scale basis. So that's how we came up with this. And obviously this dust storm that we're talking about in May of 214, it had a huge impact. And this one was very interesting because it wasn't your typical, what people would think of here as one of our kind of broad dust storms. This is more, this is a thunderstorm induced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we get the big dust storms where we get the brown skies mm -hmm. around here. That tends to happen a lot in late March, April, and early May. But once we start getting into the May into June timeframe, we start getting some thunderstorms that try to build up. I talked about the fact that you can have a thunderstorm dry. with lightning, but, but it's dry. Mm -hmm. We don't get any rain out of it. Well, when that happens a lot of times, literally what happens, Brad, is the rain falls. It just evaporates because mm -hmm. the air is so dry. And that creates a pocket of cold air from, from the evaporation. And that hits the ground and it spreads out like, like a water balloon without any water in it that hits the ground. And that's what created these winds. It was in the perfect place right over the Lordsburg playas and over that. where they've had all the problems with the loose soil yep. and instant, instant zero visibility on Interstate 10. And if you've ever driven from El Paso Las Cruces to Arizona, You've driven over that. That's very flat. It's got kind of a whitish color to it. It's right before you get up, start going up some mountains, then you get over the Arizona line. That's the area that we're talking about. And unfortunately, there were some fatalities. There were. There were, there were seven fatalities, if memory strikes me correctly. Uh, about a year later, we had almost a similar event take place. And what this was a very fiery crash. We saw actually some social media, uh, media video coming out, folks from a bus going the other direction. You had 18 wheelers. You had folks in their own little SUVs or cars. And when what happened was when the visibility went to zero, the natural response was, let me hit the brakes right. because I can't see what's in front of me. Right. And those folks behind them couldn't stop in time and we had the chain reaction. I am happy to say that a lot of mitigation has gone into the Lordsburg Playa. So we're seeing less and less of these type events out there. So that is the beauty of what we're doing and communicating these threats. And now we have some cams out there. Mm -hmm. I think that we can get shots from as well. And the signage has always been there. But again, these events can literally kick up out of nowhere. I've been lucky when I've traveled through there, clear skies, but you do see the warning signs. If you're ever out there through that area, that stretch of I-10 getting close to the Arizona line, and you do see storms right. around, be vigilant. And a lot of people that travel that route aren't from this part of the country. They don't understand the dust threat that we have. They're, they're passing, going on family vacation. So again, it, it's best to be aware of this, but thank goodness we are starting to mitigate it a little bit. Now we got the March 13th, 2019 damaging winds coming in at number seven. 
I remember this one well because I actually went up to Cloudcroft to do this storm survey. Uh, I had gotten a, a phone call from the emergency manager of the fire department in Cloudcroft the next day, and he said, man, I don't know what hit us. I don't know if it was a tornado <laughs> or what. Obviously, you know, we're talking March. It was still the cool season up there. They even had some snow and ice to go with this. And he said, but we have an anemometer, one of these little Davis weather instruments. He said, it broke right at about 100 miles per hour. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. He said, we don't know how strong the winds were. So we got up there and started doing surveys. And literally, these large ponderosa pines just snapped at the base. They weren't uprooted. Right. You can understand being uprooted if the soils are moist right. and maybe the root system's not real great. These things snap like toothpicks. And, and we estimated winds well over 100 miles per hour with some of those. I remember hearing about that when that happened. And I think there was a little rhyming on the trees? Yeah, I try I tried to do my best to kind of talk about why this would have happened because this was literally a winter storm type mm -hmm. system. It was coming through with a cold front and some strong winds. The winds kind of got compressed right there at mountaintop level, but then they started to funnel through some of the valleys ah, and, okay. and that helped accelerate. But what we think really took these trees down more than anything, because these were amazing trees, oh, sturdy trees, yeah. yeah, they'd been there a long time, was the fact that that strong, moist wind had created this layer of ice on the evergreens. Yeah. And that gave a fresh, heavy surface up top. They were top heavy. Mm -hmm. And when that wind caught them, they just went down. Homes, unfortunately, and cars were underneath those trees when they came down. Now we also have, coming in at number six, the September 16th, 2009 hailstorm and I remember that storm on, on just on a quick note when storms pop up here in the borderline we all want the rainfall for you know it always misses where we are you know it's always somebody else that gets the rain and when that storm was going up I was like I'm gonna get missed by this storm I'm not gonna get the rain oh, well about 15 minutes later when I saw how big it was and the warnings went out for the hail and I want to say it was eventually tornado warned as well it was we never confirmed a tornado right just warned, warned though mm -hmm. but then at that point I was like okay I don't want I don't want anything to do with that storm, but unfortunately that storm did a lot of damage. It, it really did. A tremendous amount of damage. Estimates up to 150 million. Wow. And, that, and, that, and that was back over 10 years ago, yeah. like 13 years ago that this happened. So obviously with the cost of automobiles and homes, I don't know if you've seen the price of those things lately, I would shudder to see what if that happened today, what the damage estimate would be. But this was near the perfect storm. It went up just to the east of the Franklin Mountains. The Franklins provided the lift, the atmosphere was unstable, but the course that it took was what was so interesting. I-10. It went straight down I-10 and yeah. it found just about every car dealership on the east side of town. Yeah. So uh, there were a lot of insurance claims that had to go for that one. And uh, of course it was very large hail as well. Yeah, that was, I, I believe in that one they were talking about some of the largest hail that we'd seen, uh, at least around El Paso. Yeah, easily golf ball, and I would suspect that there could have even been a tennis ball or two oh, mixed in there that day. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Not a real tennis ball, obviously. Right. Tennis ball size. Hey, that's how you refer to it. In, <laughs> yeah, weather, weather guys talking. Shame so, on us. Right. So we got September 16th coming in at number five with the to 19th, September 16th to 19th, 2014 flooding. Not 2006. This is the 16th to 19th of 2014. What happened here? Well, it's kind of kind of hard to put it down without looking at all the weather maps to show you exactly what was there. But this was going to be the remnants of one of those tropical uh, systems we okay. talked about. Remember, I said how we can we can have hurricanes 
or tropical storms that's right this one went by the name of odile if you remember correctly odile was a big deal for us as well right because we saw that moisture coming for days and it put the heads out that we were going to get some beneficial rains and this was coming at the tail end of a not so great monsoon season okay. for us but the remnants brought two, four, six inch rainfall totals in about six or seven hours in some places. And anybody that's lived in the borderland any length of time knows that our water doesn't like to soak into the soil. It likes to run next door to our neighbor's house right. and down the streets right. and, and any place that it can cause problems. And so we did. And everybody was like, oh no, are we doing 2006 all over again? Right. You know, we, we were getting close. But this was actually the effect of a tropical weather system hitting the desert southwest. And I looked at the south satellite loop of this, of the, what was Odile coming in basically over the Sea of Cortez and then over Sonora State and into the borderland. And what I was surprised by, now being September, not surprised we probably still had moisture in the area, at least some moisture, more so, than we would have been in March, for example. Right, because our, our, uh, our monsoon season doesn't officially end until the 30th. Right. right. Yeah. So we got a little bit of moisture, but I was surprised to see that almost flank on that eastern and southeast side that blew up with those storms. Because at one point, as it, as it basically was over Sonora State, which is pretty mountainous, it was pretty it was pretty ragged. But then that line that that formed that 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 storms that was pretty incredible to see that. That was one of the better, if you will, tropical systems that, as you as you mentioned, can affect us. That did affect us. That held together a little bit better. There was Dolly, right? Several years prior mm -hmm. to, but but this was was one of those examples where. Yeah, even with the mountainous terrain, they can kind of hold their own sometimes. Yeah, it, it, it kept its circulation. Yeah. It, it, it kind of became somewhat extra tropical as it moved on up into the area. But we had, uh, we'd kept some very warm weather going prior to that onset, and we had a really unstable atmosphere, and you put all that moisture. That's that's the reason we don't get a lot of rain here, folks, right. is we're a desert. We don't have moisture. But when the moisture comes, it can rain. we can act just like the rest of the country. That's we right. can hang with the best of them. We friend. certainly can, <laughs> which is can be scary at times with, it, it can. with the flooding. It now, number four, this is going to transition from tropical to the fact that we do get all kinds of weather in the borderland. I mean, and, and as you were saying earlier, December 1987, that record snowfall, 22.4 inches of snow. Yeah, I, I, I had to look at that number to see exactly how much fell. And, and what made that so important was because that was measured at the airport. You know, that's our official location where we take our data here in El Paso. And there's always a joke that says, but nobody lives at the airport. Right. Uh, if you've seen some of the delays lately <laughs> with the National Transportation System, some yeah. folks feel like they live there. But that was an official measurement from a trained observer. At times through the years, we've had some questionable reports come in that okay. would probably want to threaten some of our records. But this one was... This one was a done deal there. Uh, it happened 13th and 14th. I remember a lot of folks were really excited because they were like, hey, there's so much snow, it's gonna stick around for Christmas. Oh, right. We're gonna have a white Christmas. Guess what? what? So. It wasn't there come Christmas day. Some of the photos <laughs> that came out with that were just incredible. I mean, that, that amount of snow, it, it, it just the occasional photo that I've seen ever since I first moved here and I wondered if it could snow here. I did a little digging when you come across that event. That definitely answers that question all at once. Number three, we've got the November 4th, 2016 hail damage. Mm -hmm. And this was more 
This, this obviously wasn't the track more on the east side. This, this affected some other areas that we were looking at. Yeah, this one uh, actually was well out to the west of us. Actually, the Deming area, the little highway that runs from Deming up through Silver City and some of those areas. And this was a case where when we talk severe weather, and, and I, I hate the fact that people get so hung up on the specifics, you know as well as I do that a severe thunderstorm has to have one inch diameter hail. That's about the size of a quarter that you pull out of your pocket. Uh, well, most of this hail came in well below that size, but there was just so much of it and it was mixed with very heavy rain that this hailstorm caused the drainages to plug up along the highways. And that resulted in extreme flash flooding and then when the flash flooding ended, what we had left over was a literal glacier. Right. These little cubes of ice, <laughs> little balls of ice had all compacted together and stuck together when they were moving along with the water. And then we had actually reduced visibilities because of the fog Hail that fog. set in <laughs> behind it. It was, it was a huge system. So imagine that we've got this setting here at number three on our list. Yeah. And it was actually a storm that didn't qualify to be considered a severe thunderstorm by the standards that we go. So that's so important. Folks will say, hey, the Weather Service didn't issue a warning. I, I haven't heard Brad on KFOX giving me any alerts for this, or Sandra's not told us about it. So it must just be your average thunderstorm. I won't worry about it. Right. Every thunderstorm can be dangerous. Yeah, definitely take note. Number two, we've got the intense cold wave of February 2011. And I think if you lived here through that, <laughs> not a fan of the cold. I know a lot of El Pasoans aren't necessarily a fan of that much cold. Mm -hmm. We're talking about negative one to one above around the El Paso area. Uh, the snow that came with it at the onset, blizzard conditions, I mean, just about by definition, if not on the west side of town. Oh yeah, we, we officially had blizzard conditions for the first time since I've been here. And I got here back in 2010. Uh, that was along the highway there running from, say, West El Paso up through the Las Cruces area Incredible. because of the very strong winds that came with that and the low visibilities. But uh, what made this one so impressive, obviously, was the length of time that we stayed below freezing there. Uh, we lost just about all of the palm trees in town, you may recall. Uh, water pipes, all sorts of things took place during that. And it's interesting to note, we had a very similar situation hit the state of Texas just last year. In right, 2021, right. it was it was the Valentine's storm. It was remember, worst to our east. Though. Oh, it, the the state of Texas, just like how how could they? And all of a sudden, we were on the outside looking in. Right. We had a little cold air, but this time the cold air channeled just to the east of us, whereas we were the epicenter of the cold air for this system. So uh, we learned a lot of lessons from that. I know that building codes have changed now, especially for outside spigots that go onto the homes. Uh, Obviously, we have a lot, of, a lot of other resources in place to help out with the hydroelectric side of things. And uh, there have been a lot of new agreements that have come into play between neighboring power companies to make sure that when the power is cut short that we have a way of transporting it in and supplementing that. So that, that's another thing that I always like to tell people, you know, we get these major weather events and I remember this one as well. Inside my bathroom window by the shower, there was ice probably a quarter inch thick from, from taking showers. Yeah. And the air was just so cold coming through the window, it was hard to insulate against that. 
But we have learned so much as a community and, and the people that help run things around here. So at least I am glad that we live in a community where we're responsive because really what I do as the warning coordination meteorologist, uh, obviously my staff is about getting warnings out. Your job is to communicate that and make sure people know where it is and what to do. My job is to make sure that we learn from these things exactly. and that we're resilient for the next time it comes around because guess what? There's going to be another big tornado one day. There's going to be another big flood. There's going to be another big hail storm. Freeze. There's going to be another freeze. <laughs> trust me. Yeah. Now a couple honorable mentions that I want to go through really quickly here. You're skipping number one? Am I skipping number one? Let's see. We've got to go through the honorable mentions before we get there. Let's see. We do. You're right. He's just saving the best for last. Well, the honorable mentions. What was number one? Uh, number one's going to be the uh, the flooding. Of yeah, the flooding, 2006. That's right. Honorable mentions really quickly, though. The all-time record low, minus eight. That was in 1962, January 11th, minus eight. And they're saying many areas, obviously, that's, you know, the airport's not the cold, one of the cold pockets. Mm -hmm. So many areas could have been minus 10 to minus 20. And then the other one, October 9th, 2006, that Deming tornado more of a supercell mm -hmm. type tornado, not so much of a land spout type tornado. That was really a wake up call for me, seeing the photo of that mm -hmm. when that photo came around. So to put that in perspective for folks that are listening or might be watching now, Brad, you've, you've thrown out a couple of great weather terms there, a meso tornado and a land spout tornado. Basically, if you've ever seen the movie The Wizard of Oz, <laughs> that was a mesoscale tornado. Most of the tornadoes that you see out in the Plain States, you know, the big wide ones, they, they literally start off as this huge rotation in the cloud, and that rotation lowers and comes down to the ground. These are typically a little bit wider and typically a little bit stronger. What we see around here is, I, I call them glorified dust devils, they're not. They are real tornadoes. But we start with a spin-up that starts at the surface. And so instead of the spin up in the cloud coming down to the ground, this starts at the surface and gets sucked into the updraft. That would be the land spout. Right. So it starts by the land and it and goes sprouts up, up into the into that. And those tend to be much weaker, but you're right. When the video or, or the photo of this came out, I remember I was actually doing your job, but I was up in Albuquerque. I was a TV weather guy before I did this, believe it or not. And obviously it was not in my broadcast area. Right. Uh, but we started seeing the images. A lot of our broadcast partners down here in the El Paso market were showing those and sending them up. And I remember thinking the same thing. That can't be. <laughs> that, that was something. That, that really, yeah, that really was a wake-up call, like you said, because that's usually the typical that you see east, and that's not what you see here for that type. So, that so I want to ask you a question. We've yeah. got a couple of minutes here. I want to ask you a question looking at this. Weather guy to weather guy, yeah. okay? Or, or, or weather geek to weather geek. I guess that's really how we define ourselves. Looking at that, what would you think we rated that particular tornado? Just looking at it by So size. when I saw that, I had thought that, was an, that had to have been at least an F2, possible F3 mm -hmm. when I saw that. Thank goodness it didn't go through any mm -hmm. cities. But that's, and that, that's what I think scared me when I saw that. And, and I would think you were right. That was probably, had we had the damage, that's what we would have had. Believe it or not, this is now classified on the official scale as an EF unknown. Okay. We just really don't know how strong it is. Uh, originally, the yuccas and the creosote don't. Exactly. Originally, when we did the survey on this thing, well, we couldn't find anything but some shrubs out in the desert that had been moved, and that could have been done by an F0. So the thought process for a long time was, well, this is an F0, but 
We think that it obviously was much stronger than that. Yeah. But again, we were fortunate it didn't hit any structure. Exactly. So, right. so folks will say, well, I don't see it in the record books as being this huge tornado. But you know, and I know, that it was, and we were just blessed that it missed population basis. Well said. And the last one, 2006 floods, how could I forget that? <laughs> nobody, I'll tell you, nobody that works in weather or emergency management for that matter can forget that. We were busy non-stop. We were busy non-stop. Uh, that was the year in 2006 that I actually became a TV weather guy up in Albuquerque, believe it or not. And I had come from out in California and we had our, our weather in the Central Valley. And I remember flying in that year for an interview for that TV station. And I couldn't believe how green the desert yes. was from Albuquerque down to Socorro <laughs> and El Paso and those areas. And it was after I came on board that I was able to see what had happened. And then when I came to the National Weather Service here, reading the history, looking at the research projects that we did on this thing, uh, it it was called the 100-year flood. Right. That's right. As if a lot of people hear the 100 year flood point wait saying, 100 years ah good you know i won't be around the next time it happens it'll be another 100 year we threatened it last year with our monsoon right. seasons right. we really did now i've gone back and looked at the numbers and even though some specific locations especially on the east side may have been hit harder last year than in 2006 the overall scope of things and the entire intensity of the storm and the frequency that's with the which with which we were getting the heavy rains. It was yeah. not just one storm. We didn't get a break. No, it was just over and over and over again and across a wide area. But what folks need to remember, that a 100-year storm basically says that there's a one in 100 chance. There's a 1% chance it could happen any year. And that's a statistical thing. That's what the reality is. The reality is we're probably gonna get a little break before it happens again. But the truth is we should always be prepared. Exactly. That's, that's the WCM in me coming out. And, and I think that's why we go through this list. You mentioned it right off the top. This shows people the variety of weather that we have here. We get complacent sometimes, and we do live in a great place. We get a lot of great weather. We you guys were talking what your favorite weather is. Mine's sunny and 75, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Right. You know, it's great stuff, yeah. but we always need to be prepared for when these things happen. And that's why I'm glad to have partners like you to help share this information with the folks. And where can people go to find out more information about severe weather events that, that can happen here, storm spotting, stuff that they can participate in? You can find just about all of that by clicking on weather.gov. Don't get confused with the com because we're not commercial. That goes to some other source that we won't mention here, weather.gov. All right. Uh, and uh, from there, from a national standpoint, you'll find all the information you could ever want. All right. Well, thank you, Jason Laney, National Weather Service uh, coordination, uh, warning coordinator at the National Weather Service. Thanks for joining us here on The Breakdown.